Good morning, everyone. Kids, you are dismissed for Gospel Project. We hope you have a, a great time. The kids are telling each other, don't run. Awesome. Thank you to those of you who will go to lead them. That's always an important work we're thankful for. Um, if you would, turn with me to Proverbs 1. We've been in the book for months, and we're still in the first chapter. Proverbs 1. Now, uh, as I look out and see all of you, I, I must just point out, I'm amazed that you returned after last Sunday. You're here. Uh, last week, as we were looking at what Proverbs says about um, the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife, one of the things I enjoyed the most was looking out and seeing three different sets of parents that were here visiting their kids. That was awesome. So today, uh, we're going to continue on. We have two more uh, messages in this uh, current series of messages in Proverbs. This is our last. We've called this social currency. We're looking at what does the book of Proverbs say about life's most important relationships. So we've considered friendship, and then we looked at Proverbs 31 from the standpoint of looking for a spouse. Last week, we considered uh, the husband and wife relationship. And today we're going to talk about parenting. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed this, doing this with you. Um, next week, we're going to consider the issue of conflict. All of us have conflict with people. So we're going to look at what the book of Proverbs has to say about that. Maybe just a brief word about what's coming up after that. We're planning to walk through um, some psalms. So looking at selected psalms for several weeks and considering their, their meaning. And then Brian Jerry, who is our current pastoral resident, is going to spend several weeks with us looking at Proverbs. I mean, uh, I have Proverbs on the brain, can you tell? Uh, we're looking at Colossians, and uh, he has done a lot of study. I'm looking forward to what he has to say. And so that'll take us through the rest of the summer. And then in the fall, we're planning as a church family to go through the book of Philippians. So if you read ahead, and in your regular reading of the Bible, you want to spend time in those books, you could look at Psalms, Colossians, and Philippians. That will take us through most of the rest of the year, Lord willing. So for today, we'll consider parenting. Uh, from the very first human beings until today, the family has been the basic building block of every single society that has existed. Husband, wife, and many times kids. Doesn't mean if you're single that you're not an important part of society. But it means that the essential building block of what builds societies has historically been the family. The parenting that happens in a family is of enormous ramification on someone's life, not just when they're kids, but for their entire lives. Family and parenting in particular is of great importance. The book of Proverbs as a whole illustrates that. How? Well, it's largely an entire book about a father speaking on behalf of he and his wife to a son. And thereby, it, the book as a whole is, in one sense, communicating parenting is of great importance. But today, in particular, we want to look at the passages, some of them, that talk specifically about parenting. All of us here who have kids at home and who have kids outside the home, we want to be good parents, right? None of us want to mess up at the job of parenting. And so we're going to consider how do we parent 
purposefully. But before we look at those passages, let me make a couple of disclaimers. And these are very (laughs) important. Three disclaimers. First of all, Jill and I are not perfect parents, so I hope you won't judge the accuracy of what I'll say today based solely on looking at us. We're trying, but we are works in progress and the jury is still out on our kids. So as, as our kids struggle to grow up in the Lord and as we struggle to be good parents, I hope you won't discount the truthfulness of the Proverbs by the reality of our ongoing struggle to be obedient as parents. It's ultimately the Word of God that is our authority. We hope the parenting we're doing is, is godly, it's worth considering, but it's in the end of the day, not the standard for what we judge to be success. So be nice to us and to our children, please. I'm speaking to you from a heart of humility, being fully aware we still have an 11-year-old and 8-year-old that are, that are growing and that are maturing. Another disclaimer is that it's very common in Tempe for a child to be raised by someone other than biological mother and a biological father. And so our church family is blessed to have shape, many different shapes and sizes when it comes to families. There are families where step-parents are raising children. There are families where neighbors are bringing their kids and the parents are not part of the church at all. Um, there are have I offended you, dear, already? <laughs> there are um, grandparents raising children. That is exceptionally common today. And so the book of Proverbs uses the terms father and mother. I'm going to use those terms. But whatever your situation is, I hope you'll hear that through the lens of who those, who those children are that God has given to your care. So please hear the word fathers and mothers and apply them to your situation. And if you're single or if your kids are grown or if you're married and you don't have kids, uh, don't check out because there are children in the church family and thereby there are children that you can help raise. That's part of what a church family is for, is to lock arms and help each other in this task of helping kids grow up in the Lord. And then finally, maybe the most important of these disclaimers, there's nothing like parenting to provoke guilt. Nothing like it. And so as we consider what the scriptures say about parenting, I think the temptation will be to feel like I am scooping, heaping piles of guilt and throwing them on top of you and you're being buried alive. That is not my goal. That is not God's goal. That is not the goal of these Proverbs. Instead, I hope we'll we'll take these truths and we'll hold them up, and the lens through which we look at them will be the gospel, the message that Christ came and died and rose again, and if you've placed your faith in him, he now lives in you through the Spirit. And so where there is need for conviction of sin, I hope you feel it, and you feel it deeply, but I hope you don't stay there. I hope that compels you to Christ who has already forgiven you and thereby through him start afresh and anew in this task of parenting. No matter how hard you try as a parent, you will make mistakes. 
And so maybe as a result of this message, what you need to do is go to your child, whether that child is three or 30 or 60, and say, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Would you forgive me? As long as another person is living, there's always the hope of reconciliation. So maybe you need to pursue a grown child, or maybe you need to pursue a child who's still in your home. Many stories are filling my mind even as I say that. Friends, the choices your kids make will ultimately determine what they become. And so the task of a parent is to put that child under the spigot of God and then plead with him to turn it on and pour out his grace. But ultimately, that child has to look up and see the goodness of God and choose to open their mouth and drink from the grace and goodness of God. You cannot do that for them. And so let's be a church that as we talk about parenting, a tough subject in which we all who are parents could say we have made significant errors in judgment. But that we would ourselves look up and see Christ and drink from the gospel and then try afresh and anew. My goal today is not to provoke guilt, but to encourage hope and intentionality through God's word. Those are my disclaimers. I hope you can heed them well. Now to our task at hand, um, parenting. What does it mean to parent purposefully? As I've studied Proverbs over the last year, I think we could break it down in what the book says about parenting into four different pieces, four four pieces of instruction about parents. So if you would, imagine with me that there's a chair here, and that chair has how many legs? Four. If it has three, what's going to happen? You're going to fall. If it has two, what's going to happen? You're going to fall even quicker. If it has one, it's not going to stand up at all. So picture your task as a parent as having four specific duties, each one being of great importance in raising a child. So picture those four things like four legs on a chair. The first we'll spend by far the most time on, and it is foundational to the other three. So the first, what, is, what are parents to do in order to parent purposely? First is parents teach your children. So look at verse 8 of chapter 1, Proverbs 1, verse 8. Hear, O my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. This passage beautifully describes a mother and a father working in concert to bless their children with good instruction. And notice what the result is. Garland for your heads, kids, and pendants for your neck. Now that's motivating, isn't it? That just sounds wonderful. I've always wanted garland and a pendant. Well, here's what that means. In, in the ancient world, a champion was given garland when they were victorious. And someone who took a public office was given a pendant for that office. So parents, do you see what's being pictured? If you want your child to, as an adult, be thriving, living a victorious, prosperous, successful life, in the biblical sense of those words. 
then give yourself to their teaching. Give yourself to their instruction. Your hard work of instruction and teaching, if heeded, will result in your child thriving in life. And by God's grace, you get to be a part of that. That's really cool, isn't it? Now turn a couple chapters over to Proverbs 6, and we can see a little bit more specific instruction about what that means. Proverbs 6, and we'll look at verse 20 through 23, and then spend quite a few minutes talking about how to go about that. So Proverbs 6, 20. My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Parents, the first and primary leg of this chair is teaching. Now that, of course, raises some questions. And let me just speak to two of them. What to teach and how to teach. So if teaching is this important, what is it that we're supposed to be teaching our kids? And how should we go about that? Well, if we look at the whole of the Bible, that question is not left up to private interpretation. It very clearly says, this is what you're to teach your kids, and this is how you're to go about it. So let's spend a few minutes on that together. Four things that the Bible teaches in relationship to what to teach. And um, my least favorite kind of sermon is a sermon full of lists. It makes me want to pull my hair out. Quit giving me so many lists. Just say something, hold it up, magnify God in it. Let me rejoice, let my heart surge, and then let me go live it out. I'm going to give you a different kind of message than the one I prefer. Because the task of parenting needs specificity. It needs instruction. It needs clarity. And so as we survey what the scriptures say about parenting, I hope that we can give some concrete, actionable steps, things to do. And again, those of you here who aren't parents, you have children in your life in some way, shape, or form. What could you be doing to be a blessing to them? How could you encourage them? Members, how can you come alongside the families in our church and help them? Four things the scripture says to teach in terms of teaching children. The first is God's character. The thing children need to hear the most is who is God. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. That drives literally everything in your life. Everything. Whether you're two or whether you're 90, your basic worldview is built on who is God? What has God done for us? Who are we in light of who God is and what are we supposed to do? So help your child gain a vision for who God is. When our kids were young, we would push them in a stroller, and we clearly didn't live here. You'll know why in a second. We would push them on a stroller, walk around the neighborhood, and when we'd see flowers, that's why you would know this isn't Arizona, flowers don't last long here. They last like three days, and they're burnt. But we'd, we'd take Abby's little face, pull her down near a flower, have her sniff it. 
She loved flowers as a one-and-a-half-year-old. And we'd say to her, Abby, God made that flower. It's beautiful, isn't it? God is a good God. God's a powerful God. And you know what else? God made you. And God gave that flower a purpose to display him. And he's going to do that in you. So you can do that very young. Beginning to teach a child the character traits of God. So teach a child who God is, his character. Second, and this is the one we likely go to more, is teach a child God's commands. God's commands, notice in this proverb, are not um, a ruler waiting to smack a child in order to make them behave the way you want them to. That's not their main function. How did this proverb talk about the commands? What effect were they having upon this child? Not rhetorical. Every now and then I do this to you. Were these things the child was afraid of? They were punitive. No. I'm not saying rules don't have that function, but that's not their primary function. Look again at that last verse, verse 23. The commandment is a lamp, a teaching, a light. The reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Friends, God's commandments are matters of life and death. They're matters of instruction. They're matters of encouragement. They're not arbitrary. They are God communicating, this is what you must do if you want to live a life through which you're not tripping and falling and bloodying your face constantly. They're good, they're gracious, they're guidance. They're not arbitrary. God's commands are God's instructions. They're not your personal pet peeves. So we're to teach God's character. We're to teach God's commands. And then obviously, what does that raise? If we're talking about who God is, if we're talking about what God has said to do, then of course, the next thing we're going to have to be talking about is God's gospel. Because children are born broken sinners. You were too. And so every child needs to be taught the truths of the gospel. And then finally, what we've seen in this series is that we need to be teaching God's wisdom. So when we think about teaching our children, the things we want to be teaching, the character of God, the commands of God, the gospel of God, and the wisdom of God. And in Proverbs in particular, that's the focal point. That's where we're helping kids learn how to discern right from wrong in the gray stuff of life. It's where we're teaching them what kind of person to choose to be friends with. It's where we're teaching them what to look for in a spouse. It's where we're teaching them how to think about money. It's where we're teaching them how to manage their time. Those things that don't have clear Black and white, 100% of the time, it must be done this way. But those issues of prudence and wisdom and seeking God, I think that's the hardest of those buckets. Because you're teaching them not mainly rules to follow, but a way of thinking. And hopefully, these last several months as we've looked at this book over and over and over, we've become better at that as adults and as teenagers 
as older children. But that's something we can continually grow in. So character commands gospel and wisdom. You can spend the rest of your life trying to do that with your kids, and they will never outgrow it. Right? Because guess what you still need? Guess what I still need? (laughs) We still need the character of God, the commands of God, the gospel of God, and the wisdom of God. When we fail to to obey God's commands, it is always because we've lost sight of God's character and God's gospel. It's a failure to see who he is and what he's done. So that's stuff we can continually drink from. Amen? Amen? All right, now how do we do that? How specifically do we go about that? How is Tim, as the director of our family ministries, seeking to build a family ministry that encourages parents and a team of people here as part of the church life, how are we thinking about the task of training, of teaching kids? Well, the main thing we're looking for is trying to teach how to parent the heart, how to parent the heart. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, remember what Proverbs has taught us about the heart. The heart, not that organ inside your body that plumps blood throughout your whole body, but that immaterial part in you that pumps motivation and life to your whole body. It's the spring from which everything in life flows. Behavior, as we said over and over and over in this series, is the overflow of what's in the heart. Or an illustration we used, an analogy, the heart is the steering wheel of your life. It directs where you go. It dictates your motivations, your behavior, your decisions. All of that flow from the heart. The heart is the steering wheel of life. And everyone is born with a heart bent against God's good rule. We commonly will say to one another, such and such, so and so did this, but they're a good person. That isn't true. The scripture tells us intrinsically that we are born alienated from God. And so the task of a parent isn't primarily to boost a child's self-esteem so that from their self-esteem will flow good behavior. Rather, the task of a parent is to teach them how to draw from the heart Good things because God is putting good in there. Do you hear the difference? You could do a really great job as a parent of helping your child learn moral, ethical behavior. They could look nice and clean and well-behaved, and you could get a ton of accolades from friends and family. And you could utterly fail as a parent. Why? Because what your child needs is much deeper than behavior change. Your child needs a new heart. And you can't give them that. God has to do that. But you can position them under the gospel of grace where the spigot is and ask God to turn it on and tune that child's heart in such a way that hopefully they will cry out to God for grace and mercy. Are you with me? That's extremely different than behavior modification. 
And the reason this is so hard is because most of us, as adults, are still just changing our behavior. We're not drawing on the grace of God to change our hearts. A book that I have found helpful, Joel and I have found helpful in our parenting, put it this way. Parents often get sidetracked with behavior. If your goal in discipline has changed behavior, it's easy to understand why this happens. The thing that alerts you to your child's need for correction is his behavior. Behavior irritates and thus calls attention to itself. Behavior becomes your focus. You think you've corrected when you've changed unacceptable behavior to behavior that's sanctioned and uh, appreciated. Well, what's the problem, you ask? The problem is this. Your child's needs are far more profound than aberrant behavior. I would commend every parent to consider reading that book. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's by a guy named Ted Tripp. Many of you heard him in a a conference a few years ago through the Gospel Coalition with a a church we partner with. Um, We purchased several copies of that book. They're at the back at the bookstall. I get no kickbacks for telling you. Consider buying that book and reading it. But it has multiple chapters on how do you go about heart issues with a child, not just behavior. It doesn't mean the behavior doesn't matter. It means you've got to look beyond the behavior to the heart that's driving the behavior and address both. I'm 39. I'm still learning how to do that myself. This is not an easy thing, but it is the essence of what parents are supposed to be after in terms of positioning their child so they can understand the gospel. How do you do that? Well, uh, what's that movie that they're in a dream and inside of a dream they're messing with another dream? Okay, Inception. Funny you respond much quicker to that than (laughs) biblical questions. (laughs) Find that interesting. Anyway, in my outline of this sermon, okay, we're at the first leg, teaching a child, and then teach them these four things, and then parent the heart, So we're in a dream and a dream and a dream inside of a dream, and now we're talking about what to do with that dream. All right, so are you following with me? I hope this is not crystal clear, but I hope you're tracking with me. How do you parent the heart? How do you talk with your child about not just their behavior, but their heart? Well, you do that through dialogue, not through monologue. So you don't bark at them and regurgitate things at them, and not listen. It's about dialogue. Now, what are you trying to dialogue about? Well, three things. You're you're focused on asking good questions so that you get dialogue, not monologue, and you're first thinking of doing this in the context of intentional spiritual conversations. So these are the things that you build into the rhythm of family life, not the things that just pop up. So in some shape or form, now I think it's a mistake to be dogmatic about how you do this. Every family is different. Children children are different. Parents are different. Everybody say this with me. We are different. We're different, okay? I think there's grace for how your family chooses to build this rhythm in your life. But in some way, shape, or form, there's got to be a regular time when the family gathers around 
to pray together, to read some scripture together, and even maybe to sing together. Some of you, that really freaks out. But some intentional rhythm of life where the family, the adults and the kids know, whether that's once a week, whether that's around the the meal every night, uh, whether that's Saturday night, but some time in which the kids know we're going to open the Bible, we're going to read it, and we're going to pray. What does that do? Well, it teaches your kids that church is not the only time you care about what God says. It teaches your kids that God is the authority. It teaches them the Bible is important and we ought to read it. It teaches them there are practical, helpful, instructional things in the scriptures that we need. Do you get that? Most of us, and I understand this, most of us did not grow up in homes that did that. And that's okay. The best time to start is today. Don't worry about the last 20 years, the last 10 years, the last five years, the last six months. Just think about today. Part of talking to your child about their heart is building that into the fabric of life. When we leave today, uh, Tim and a couple of other people are going to be out on the patio with a little tiny book. Okay, you can read this in one sitting. It is not long. It even has a picture in it. Uh, it's called Family Worship. And this little book builds a biblical case for why you should do this and then talks about some practical strategies through which to do it. The guy that wrote it has developed a couple of short videos on a website that you can go to and it doesn't cost you anything. We're giving you the book, okay? Your gracious offerings have provided for this, so you have no excuse, okay? Take it, read it, consider. If you've never done this, what would be a way you could consider baby steps building this into your life? Now, um, just two months ago, the guy that wrote that book, Don Whitney, came out with a a blog post that I want to read you a portion of so that you don't misunderstand what I'm talking about, all right? The blog post is called Family Worship in the Day I Made My Daughter Cry, all right? You imagining what this might have been like? Um, My parents uh, attempted to do this, and there was three kids. I'm the oldest. Uh, I have a brother four years younger than me and a brother six years younger than me. My father was a pastor. I was very convinced that my father was a moron and he knew nothing. I was even more convinced that my mom um, did not have my best interest in mind. So when we would gather and have these, and I'm, I'm being um, as honest as I can be, my main goal for years was to subvert, annoy, irritate, and anger my parents, in particular my father, as he tried to do this. And so we went from like long things to uh, this little tiny book that was um, father's instructions to their kids, something like that. And uh, they were just sentences. And I can't remember a single time that that went well. 
Not one. But now I'm 39, and I'm telling you, you should do this. Okay? Okay? Um, you cannot judge its success based on watching how it goes. That's the point Don's going to make, all right? His daughter, Laurelin, recently graduated from a high school, and she gave a speech at high school as part of her graduation. And she wrote a letter, and she read this letter to her parents in front of everyone. And here's a portion of what that letter says. Dad, the way you have so consistently led us in family worship is so meaningful and inspirational for me. I'm going to cherish those moments together for as long as I live. You've been a wonderful, loving, spiritual leader for my entire life. Not only our time reading the Bible or Christian books together, but also our time reading classic books, which will be something I'll remember forever. Not a sentence I would say. Thank you to my father. Thank you for, thank you so much, Dad, for making such a huge part. Thank you, Dad, for making that such a huge part of our family, end quote. And now Don's going to talk. As meaningful to me as they obviously were, these times of family worship, Laurelin never finished reading these two precious paragraphs. When she started talking about how much family worship meant to her, she began to cry. And when I say cry, I mean I cannot remember her weeping that hard since she was a preschooler. She came and sobbed on my shoulder, and then, read this blog post, there's a photo of them. Now, before you imagine something that isn't true, I want you to know, and listen to this closely, I cannot recall once in the thousands of nights before Laurelin wrote those words, when we concluded family worship and I had some atmospheric sense of the presence of God. Not one time did we finish family worship where I would have said afterwards, the Lord evidently moved in great power among us tonight. On the contrary, most nights our family gathering was more like, will you pay attention? I'm reading the Bible here. Please put down your phone. Are you listening? Many times after family worship, I wondered if anything good had been accomplished. Almost nightly, I had to remind myself to trust in the Lord to do his work through his word, not in my perceptions or feelings about what had not occurred. And then he gives this exhortation. Strive for faithfulness in family worship, not immediate results. I fully understand that what you may see night after night, week after week, month after month, year after year, may be uneventful. Just realize that the effects are rarely immediate, usually they're cumulative. That was true in his case, with his daughter. It's very much true in my case. I'm trusting with our children that the same will be true. But most days, it's chaotic and crazy, and internally, my main goal is don't rip this kid's head off <laughs> because they're fidgety and doesn't seem like they're listening. Just do it and try to display the love of God as you do it. Now, you don't have to start with inductive Bible study and a 60-minute sermon. Okay? Literally, think two minutes in bed, read a paragraph, pray, go to sleep. But begin thinking about how to build that rhythm into the life of the family. All right, second, another way to talk to the heart, to parent the heart, is just in everyday life. 
depending on how old your kids are, this will look very different. Early on, let me speak especially to the the moms that are stay-at-home moms. Early on, your life will be like this. Changing diapers and no, don't do that. Stop, no, not that again. Don't, quit, stop, again, stop. Don't punch, don't kick, don't bite, don't scream, don't poop without your diaper on. That is the plight of the mother of a young child. Am I right? All right, so this little book, Don't Make Me Count to Three, A Mom's Look at Heart-Oriented Discipline is fantastic. I'd love it to give it, give it to a mom who would read it. Come on up. All right, as she's coming, I would say, in the back, there's also copies of this book. It's fantastic. But I'm going to throw it. You ready? Good catch. All right? The key in everyday life is to be present, to be aware, to be not caught up in your own stuff and looking for moments as God presents them to speak truth in a winsome, easy, moving about the day, loving way. Now, why is that hard? It's hard because you won't do it if you're not aware yourself and abiding in the presence of God. You just won't. The, the difference in, in my life, in my parenting, between the days that I'm up early and I've spent time reading the scriptures and praying and talking with God and the days I don't is night and day. Night and day. Because that personal time with God is plugging into the power source from which the direction and care and wisdom of God comes. I don't have it apart from that. So everyday life, everyday moments, as things come up, you work backwards from behavior to the heart. And you do that through asking good questions. Dialogue with your child so heart issues get exposed. Help your child see that he or she was made for a relationship with God and that they need heart surgery for that to happen. Help your child gain those categories for that from the earliest of ages. Are you tracking with me? So that's as simple as, let's say you have a four-year-old and you have a two-year-old and the four-year-old has punched the two-year-old in the face. Not that that would ever happen in your family. The, the, the behavior matters. Okay? You don't just let them continue to, to wail on the two-year-old. But the behavior isn't the main issue. And so you want to take the child, you want to give an appropriate level of discipline, you want to wait until the child has calmed down, and then you want to ask questions like, why were you hitting your sister or your brother? Because they took my toy. Why did that cause you to hit your child? That's not why, by the way, right? They didn't hit the child because the child took the toy. They hit the child because they wanted the toy themselves and that desire was frustrated. Anger comes from something other than the immediate event. It comes from the heart issue 
that gets magnified in the event. So it's asking questions, and again, those resources can help you know how to do that. So intentional spiritual conversations, everyday life, and third, you do this through allowing your church family to have dialogue and relationship with your kids. Church on Mill, we are a big, extended family. That's what church is. So look around you. We have weird uncles and strange cousins. That was Every Sunday is like a family reunion. God is our Father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And God's design is that we could help each other in this task of parenting. God designed things in such a way that the church family is to help you raise your immediate family. So that means we've got to be with each other more than just in this room. We've got to be building life in such a way that casual settings take place where other adults and teenagers have relationships with your kids and are encouraged to be their friends and speak to them. The way you speak about your church and how you're involved is critical to the parenting of your child. It's critical. So if I could be more direct, is church an add-on to the rest of your life? Or is it the sun around which all the other planets of daily life revolve? Those are two really different things. Your child will see that and will likely model their own life after that. Is this cutting out or is it just me? All right. You teach your children by parenting their heart through intentional spiritual conversations, through everyday life, and through relationships. That's the first leg of the chair. Hope you brought a pillow and a lunch. I'll have to go a lot faster. What is going on? One of your children is on the roof. I'm sorry, it'll be okay. All right, uh, a second leg on this chair is parents personalize your parental training. Personalize your parental training. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This verse, perhaps more than any other verse in the entire Bible, has been the hope of many parents and the deep pain of some. So remember, Proverbs are not guarantees. They're not warranties. You can't take it back, put it in the box, and get a new one. That's not the function of Proverbs. Proverbs are not unilateral promises. They're statements about how life generally works. Where'd that cordless go? Thanks. Um, I, I say this um, being fully aware that for some in the room, there's deep, deep pain and heartache as you think about this verse. Because you have tried the best you knew to train up a child to follow the way. And it seems as though they've turned against it. 
There is no pain like that pain. But contrary to what you might feel, it doesn't mean you failed, and it doesn't mean God's a liar. It means Proverbs give general statements about how life generally works. So what this verse is actually saying is not be a good parent, and 100% of the time you'll have a good godly adult. Your kids will make choices, and these moral choices will determine how their lives go. But the principle of the verse still stands, and that principle is this. It's much more likely your child will turn out to be good, godly, responsible adult if you train him or her on the path of wisdom, not the path of folly. That's what the verse means. To train up means to dedicate it means to dedicate your child to the way of wisdom. So the, the literal translation of this verse from the Hebrew, as it was originally written, says this, dedicate your child according to his way. It means dedicate your child to God by pointing him or her to the path of wisdom and away from the path of folly. It's saying your intentional, thoughtful, consistent instruction of your child makes a lasting impact. And typically, your child will follow it. Does that make sense? Friend, God is not a liar. And your adult child who has wandered away isn't necessarily displaying that you did a bad job as a parent. Every person has to decide, are they going to follow God or not? You cannot do that for them. So those of you with young kids, you want to start now, if you haven't already, teaching God's commands, God's character, God's gospel, God's wisdom. And you want to do that with the hope that your child will choose for themselves to follow God. They're much more likely to do so if you do that well. But it's not a fail-safe guarantee. Every child's different. Your child's bent will matter. You've got to personalize your parenting. So in other words, in, in our home, one of our children seems to think rules, this is a crazy morning. <laughs> one, one of our children seem to think Rules are wonderful. They provide guidance and safety. I feel comfortable and good when I'm inside of the boundaries. Some of you have children like that. I don't understand you. Others of you have a child like our other child and like me. Rules are designed to be broken. They're made by people who don't know what they're doing, and they apply to everyone else except me. Some of you have children that are wired that way. Most of the time, you're born one way or the other. It's just in you. It's part of your constitution. It's part of your makeup. Do you see how enormously different you're going to have to approach your child based on those two things? One, if you're not careful, will grow up to be a Pharisee. They will be extremely proud that they followed the rules. They won't think they have any need for God. The other will think 
well, God's fine with whatever I do, and everyone else is stupid. And I don't really need to follow the rules. They're only suggestions. You want to provide consistent instruction in the home, but as you tune your instruction to the heart, those are not going to be exactly the same. You've got to personalize your parenting. We're out of time, so let me tell you the other two, and then we'll post somewhere online the rest of what I was going to say. Third, I was going to say another leg of the stool is parents, discipline your children for their good. Discipline is not about punishment. Discipline is not about what bugs you. Discipline is not about getting your child to behave in a particular way so you'll be thought of as a particular kind of parent. Discipline is about teaching your children that God's commands are good and they're to be followed and you need God's power and strength to do it. I wish I had more time, but we don't. Finally, parents, that last leg of the stool is to model godliness. Model godliness. The most important thing you do as a parent, the most important thing, is display a winsome, loving, passionate relationship with God. That will go further than anything else. They will catch it. They will see it. If you come here and you say one thing and then you go home and do something else, guess which one your child is most likely to follow? Those are the four legs of parenting. And what we need in order to be those kind of parents is we need a parent. We need a perfect parent. Thank goodness we have one. It is God the Father. God the Father doesn't give you instruction to follow without the means through which to do it. And so as you rely upon Him and His strength, He will make it possible for you to be a great parent. Let's pray. Father, we pray for grace and truth. We pray you'd help us see where we have made mistakes as parents. I pray many homes that make up Church on Mill would be full of repentant and confessing adults this afternoon. We thank you that you've not left us to wonder what your word says or wonder about this enormous privilege and joy of being parents. We pray you give us instruction in it from your word. And God, may we feel not condemnation. May we feel your gospel forgiveness and empowerment through which we can start afresh and anew. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.